Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up on today's episode, the season is over. Looking back on what went wrong and... If anything went right, in a sweep at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens for the Winnipeg Jets. But first, from our friends over at DraftKings, the second round is in full swing over in the NBA playoffs. And to give you some skin in the game, DraftKings is offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs with a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each day, and it's free-to-play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are super easy to enter. You download the DraftKings app, you go to pools, and you choose from a wide variety of free contests for a chance to win cash prizes. Just answering questions as simple as which team will hit the most threes or which team scores first could grab you $10,000. So download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Wow, not even a week went by and it's all done. Just like that. The Jets time in the second round was actually that Grandpa Simpson Jeff. Walking into the club and then walking right back out. I know there's been second round sweeps before in the NHL, but I don't know how many of them happened in under a week, right? With the back-to-back for the Jets, it was just this unceremonious dumping and and no chance to even enjoy their their brief time in the second round. And I got to say that, you know, a Montreal series win before the four-game set started wouldn't have been all that surprising to me, even though the Jets were, I think, favorites going in. I think a lot of people realized it was going to be a hard-fought series against the Habs. But to see the level of domination that took place as Winnipeg struggled to, never mind generate a scoring chance to beat Carey Price, but just to get over the red line half the time, it was just inexcusable. 
You could point to a number of things, sure, that were working against Winnipeg. You know, the Shafley suspension, DeMello goes out, some other injuries in the lineup. But that doesn't explain away getting completely embarrassed, specifically in the back-to-back against Montreal. And, you know, I think my man Hustler said it best on Twitter after the game. Watching the series itself was like six days' worth of an awful root canal. I mean, it was just brutal hockey to begin with. Montreal doesn't play a, a super aesthetically pleasing style of hockey. But the Jets just didn't offer any resistance. And while Gary Price was brilliant yet again, I, I mean, I just don't think he was challenged all that much. I, I think Jake Allen could have went in and we would have seen the exact same result happen there. Because really, outside of Connor Hellebuck dragging this team once again to competitiveness and Logan Stanley's Game 4 offensive explosion, this was about as uninspiring as we've seen the Jets since I can remember watching them. I mean, to me, you have to go to the Game 6 loss to St. Louis a few years back and, and even similar to the end of the Claude Noel era in some of those games where the team just failed to show up. I mean, players, coaches... Everybody on the Winnipeg side of things just didn't have an answer for what Montreal threw at them. And that was usually a steady barrage of shots towards Connor Hellebuck. There was just no response, no alterations, no changes. It just felt like minute after minute after minute of relentless Montreal pressure. And the Jets just didn't have an answer for it. And it was frustrating as hell to watch. I mean, it's just no fun. It's no fun to watch your team struggle in any game, let alone go comatose for an entire series with a chance to go to the Final Four. So, yeah, that was that was a brutal, disappointing way to end a season that looked like it had a bunch of promise in it just a couple of days ago. One where it, it looked like the Winnipeg Jets might find themselves overachievers. But in the end, I think the same question marks going into this season plague this team headed into what is shaping up to be one of the most influential, monumental off-seasons in Winnipeg Jets 2.0 history. Now, before we get to the off-season talk, because there's going to be plenty of that, unfortunately, over the next few weeks here, we'll dive into basically what the Jets need to do to get back into Stanley Cup contention. We have to break down how it got to this point. How do the Winnipeg Jets fail to realistically even compete against a Montreal Canadian squad that was the 16th and final seed of the NHL playoff bracket. Now, I don't know if you guys saw this either, but just to, you know, unfortunately pour some more salt in the wounds here and just underline how bad the Winnipeg Jets were in this series. Jack Fraser on Twitter, at JFreshHockey. Great follow. Give him a follow if you don't already. But he had this... From the analytical perspective, Montreal had a 66.7% expected goals for percentage at even strength in the series. That was the most lopsided in the NHL since 2008. 2008, over a decade, the NHL has not seen a playoff series that lopsided when it comes to five-on-five play. I know Blake Wheeler thought the team was a bouncer two away at times. I know Paul Maurice was trying to stay positive with his message to the teams post-game after, you know, game two and game three. But there just wasn't a whole lot to be positive about, honestly. 
I, I touched on it a bit earlier there, but who really played good in this series for the Winnipeg Jets? Obviously, outside of Connor Hellebuck. But in terms of the skaters for the Jets, who had a good series? And you can't even say Logan Stanley, even though he had an outstanding Game 4 scoring his first two playoff goals, providing the offense for Winnipeg. Because outside of that, he was, I thought, overwhelmed by the speed and the tenacity of the Montreal forwards. Now, to be fair to the big guy, like I touched on there, he wasn't alone in this. I I thought basically every skater on the Winnipeg Jets' side had a rough showing this series. That goes for the coaching staff, too. Right? Like, what were the changes and alterations that the Jets made after, what, two games? After three games? Did you see any difference in how the Winnipeg Jets lined up and went after Montreal? No. It was the exact same thing over and over and over again. And despite more than enough evidence early on in the series that what the Winnipeg Jets were doing clearly wasn't going to work, we just saw... The same thing gets thrown out there time and time again. It was, we're going to try to outskill you with our high-end offensive talent. Even with Mark Shifley out, we think we still have enough to go toe-to-toe with what Montreal has to offer. And we think Connor Hellebuck is going to outplay Carey Price to such a degree that the shot clock doesn't even matter in the series. And that is just a completely foolish way of thinking you're going to have success against any team let alone one that is rolling like the Montreal Canadien are right now. So how did Montreal do it? How did they absolutely obliterate the Winnipeg Jets through four games? Let's break it down here. You know, and it's funny because they're a bit of an odd team because Montreal forever, and as we saw time and time again in this one, is a extremely aggressive forechecking team. I mean, they're not afraid to send in multiple guys down deep And with the speed of their forwards, even though they lack some size, they do a really, really good job of getting up and into the faces of the Winnipeg Jets, either defensemen or the low forward in the defensive zone. They make it really, really difficult to break out and exit the zone cleanly. We saw, I mean, that might have been the biggest factor in the Winnipeg Jets not generating any offense. It wasn't, you know... How do we get to the the slot in the home plate area against Carey Price? It was just the fact that we're spending all this time defending in our own end. We can't break the puck cleanly and get something going with speed the other way. And Montreal essentially at that point is, is forcing you to defend. And that, as we know, is maybe the best defense of anything is not allowing the other team to generate any kind of offensive opportunities. So Montreal's forecheck is, is maybe their biggest tool and what they do to limit offensive opportunities. But on top of that, not only do they send in a ferocious forecheck at you, but they're very disciplined, and they work their asses off to get back into the neutral zone as well. But they don't find themselves in too many odd man rushes against, and you saw time and time again, pretty much four Montreal skaters up and around the blue line as the Winnipeg Jets tried to break into the offensive zone. So it's this combination of a two-man forecheck with a four-man neutral zone trap that makes it, to be fair, really, really difficult to execute against when Montreal is playing and operating at a high level. So hey, Montreal deserves all the credit in the world for how well they played in that series, right? Like the Jets didn't play all that well, 
But the Habs really took it to the Jets and I think maybe exposed some of their warts and some of the ugly truths that lie in their game. There's no doubt about that. But that doesn't mean also that Montreal was unbeatable. There were definitely some chances for the Jets to make this a much more competitive series and I think to exploit some of the tendencies of Montreal. We just didn't see them do that. I mean, how, how do you beat what Montreal was throwing out there for the four games against Winnipeg? It's doable. You just have to be really sharp about it and, and precise and everything like that. I mean, especially when you see Montreal put four up against the blue line and they're almost daring you to come at them in the neutral zone. I would have liked to have seen, I mean, there's two ways you could go about beating that. One is to generate a ton of speed coming out of your own end. Short little passes, none of the stretch pass craft that we saw time and time again, but short little passes, work your way kind of methodically through the Montreal neutral zone trap. Then you get into the defensive zone. And at that point, then you worry about, okay, how do we beat Weber, Sherrod, Edmondson, Petrie, some of the Giants they have there on the blue line in Montreal? And how do we get into the danger areas to try to generate some high danger scoring chances against Carey Price? That's one way to do it. We didn't see the Jets opt to go that route because time and time again, you know, Montreal's forecheck pressured the Jets blue line into either dumps off the glass or turnover after turnover after turnover. And then we saw some extended defensive zone shifts for the Winnipeg Jets. And obviously that's not their forte. The other option, though, is kind of the meat and potatoes route. If you want to try and get into the Montreal offensive zone and stay there. And it's not pretty, but you don't have a ton of options when the other team is parking the bus up in the middle of the ice. And that's just the simple dump and chase. Again, it's it's not the way I think you want to try and generate offense against every team. But if a team is going to play passive like that against you, I mean, that's one way to beat it, right? It takes a lot more hard work, but it's a way to go. Yet again, we didn't see the Jets really even try to do that a whole lot, right? Like, the dump and chase still works, although it's not effective as a clean zone entry. But you've got to work your ass off to make sure you get the puck back. You have to make life absolute hell for the opposing defenseman that when they go into the corner, either they're getting hit or there's no time and space to make a play. A turnover is created that way. And then you begin trying to get some offensive pressure towards the middle of the ice and up against Carey Price. Again, though, we didn't see that either. There was no, <laughs> whether you wanted to go the fancy route and try to generate speed and slice and dice your way through the Montreal defense, or if you wanted to get ugly, try to make life tough as hell for the Montreal blue line and win some puck battles in the process. We didn't even see Winnipeg go to the dump and chase as a successful option on top of that. So, I mean, really, that specific area was the death blow for the Winnipeg Jets in being competitive in this series. Because if you're not able to get past that Montreal trap in the neutral zone, if you want to call it that, they're going to counterattack and, and they are one of the most dangerous teams in the NHL, even though they don't have the high-end skill. When they get the puck going in transition and they feast off your turnovers, they're a very, very tough team to play against. And we just saw Winnipeg time and time again feed right into the greatest strengths of the Montreal Canadiens. Instead, it was the Habs executing their game plan to perfection 
going at a Winnipeg Jets blue line that, let's be honest, was pathetic at moving the puck out of their own zone. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't know if they even exist. But I have to imagine that the Jets turned the puck over more inside their own end than they did make successful passes getting out of the zone. It, it was really, really tough to watch. That, to me, was by far the most frustrating thing throughout the entire series. And you know what? To be honest, it's maybe a blessing in disguise that the Jets lost this one in four games the way they did, as opposed to getting by Montreal and then having to deal with an even more ferocious and even speedier team in either the Vegas Golden Knights or the Colorado Avalanche. Things could have gotten really, really ugly if the Jets went up against the cream of the crop if they're going to play like they did against Montreal in this series. Now, that was more of a macro sense of where the Jets struggled against Montreal. Let's take a look at some of the individuals who struggled in this series, and good lord, are there more than enough to choose from. But I think we got to start with the name that was trending on Twitter in Canada, not even Winnipeg, but in Canada last night, and that's Pierre-Luc Dubois. There was a golden opportunity for Pierre-Luc Dubois, once Mark Shafley got suspended, in this series to basically erase the previous four months of ineptitude with the Winnipeg Jets and kind of start his own chapter with the team. There was a lot of hope, you know, from myself in particular, that some added responsibility and the team kind of needing to lean on him in a high leverage situation would bring the best out of Pierre-Luc Dubois that we haven't seen yet in Winnipeg. Instead, we got the exact opposite. I think somehow Pierre-Luc Dubois was even worse in games 2, 3, and 4 than he was throughout his entire tenure with the Winnipeg Jets this season. I mean, he looked lost out there. Game 4 in particular was a complete nightmare. I mean, whether you wanted to talk about the demotion down to the third line, then the demotion down to the fourth line, then Nate Thompson trying to explain mid-play where Pierre-Luc Dubois needs to be, and even then Dubois not listening to the veteran in that case and thwarting a Winnipeg Jets breakout attempt. Then the cherry on top of all that is... Pierre-Luc Dubois loses Tyler Toffoli in coverage on the overtime winner, Jets season over. Aside from putting the puck in his own net to end <laughs> to end the game in overtime, I don't know if you could have scripted a worse performance from Pierre-Luc Dubois in that final game. I mean, it was just a really, really disappointing way for him specifically to end his first season with Winnipeg. Now, having said all that, too... I think there are some extenuating circumstances with Dubois' struggles in the postseason. First and foremost, he's probably battling some kind of an injury and, and maybe even a, a serious one at that. So I don't, <laughs> you know, I was kind of harsh there. I was going to say I don't want to go all in on him just yet, even though that was pretty rough. But I think there should be some leeway from the fan base once we find out exactly what he was dealing with, because obviously missing. The start of the Oilers series, there's a chance that there was a nagging injury and, and maybe that contributed to Pierre-Luc Dubois not operating at 100%. On top of that, I mean, he just never got comfortable his entire season with Winnipeg. We saw this across the league too. A number of players that were traded in this pandemic-shortened season, they just weren't able to get their bearings straight and their footing out from underneath them 
once they joined their new club. I mean, really, Jack Roslovic was the only one early on, and then we saw a bit of a tail off in his performance. But look across the league, and there are a number of players that just couldn't find a way to get it going when they were moved early on in the season. And I think Pierre-Luc Dubois fell victim to that. I mean, especially, too, coming into Canada, right? Where he has the two-week quarantine, he's in a house by himself doing absolutely nothing, then he comes back into the Jets lineup, gets injured right away, and then from that point on, he's just trying to stay healthy, let alone find his spot in the lineup, whether he's playing at center or on the wing. There was just so much going on that I think there's an element of understanding that this was just a rough, rough season for PLD. Next year, though, I don't know if there's a player on the Winnipeg Jets that's going to be under the spotlight more, under more scrutiny than Mr. Dubois. He's going to have to bring it in a big, big way, or else there is going to be a ton of heat on him, on Kevin Cheveldayoff, and a lot of questions to be asked about, boy, did we blow the Patrick Line trade? Maybe moving the biggest asset in the Winnipeg Jets organization for a guy that's flamed out? trying to be a second-line center, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to perform next season. I'll be very intrigued to see what kind of player, if it's going to be the previous Columbus Blue Jackets, Pierre-Luc Dubois, or the guy that, quite frankly, leaves you wanting a lot more despite having basically all the tools at his disposal. It's a big year for him, too, because Pierre-Luc Dubois is up for a contract at the end of next season. So, you know, if you're of the mindset that a guy with a payday in the rearview mirror that's closer than it actually appears. Those players tend to perform at a higher level. Maybe that's a, a positive sign that we'll get a hungry and motivated Pierre-Luc Dubois for what is shaping up to be an absolutely critical season for the Winnipeg Jets next year. So I think it's fair to say Pierre-Luc Dubois was the most disappointing Winnipeg Jet in the second round series against Montreal. You know, I don't think we saw the best out of Nick Ehlers either, but to me, I think there's some kind of a significant injury that was going on there. I just didn't see the jump and the burst out of Nick Ehlers in that series. Paul Stasny, too, was just nowhere near the player that he was during the regular season. So, that, I mean, right there is a couple other high-end performers for the Jets that I think were hobbled due to injury. And, I mean, honestly, the rest of the guys up front just... It was, it was lackluster pretty much throughout. Maybe Adam Lowry was the one guy that stood out from a positive sense. But outside of that, there was just not a lot of positives that you could glean in terms of performances from the Winnipeg Jets forwards against Montreal. On the back end, I mean, realistically, it was more of the same. Dylan DeMello goes down in game one, and we pretty much see the Winnipeg Jets blue line that struggled during the regular season rear its ugly head once again. Josh Morrissey cannot carry the top pairing with Tucker Pullman. I thought those two had four really good games against the Edmonton Oilers and then put in different roles, struggled mightily against the Montreal Canadiens. So, I mean, you know, moving forward to the offseason, Tucker Pullman is a third pair defenseman. Josh Morrissey needs some major, major help beside him if he wants to live up to that $6 million plus cap hit ticket. Neil Pionk, I thought, was okay. He he wasn't as good as he was, you know, in the regular season and the series against Edmonton, but I wouldn't point to him as a, as a major down spot. Derek Forbert's struggles, though, continued. 
whether it was with or without the puck, he just wasn't very effective in this one. And I think that's going to be a major point of upgrade for the Winnipeg Jets in the offseason. And then you have my man Groot. I don't know if that nickname's going to stick or not. I like Groot, but Logan Stanley, you know, it's funny because he, I thought, had a really, really rough start to the series against Montreal. Like I said earlier, I thought the speed and the pace of the game kind of overwhelmed him, and we saw some iffy decision-making from Logan Stanley. But I thought his game four was great, right? I mean, obviously, he scores the two goals, but I thought he moved the puck pretty well. You know, for the first time in four games against Montreal, I thought he was a lot more composed. And yeah, he beats Carey Price clean two times, one with a wrister, one with a clap bomb. So in a night and a series filled with just negative after negative, at least we got one positive in the matchup against Montreal, seeing Logan Stanley have a, a bit of a mini breakout performance in Game 4 there, capping off what's been a really, really impressive season for him. There was absolutely nobody, myself included, that thought he would even get a sniff of the NHL this season, barring a huge rash of injuries. But he came in, and he worked his ass off in the offseason, and it paid off in a big way. I mean, he was just a totally different player, and, you know, we'll see what happens with the expansion draft, but assuming he's in Winnipeg next season, it's crazy to say right now, but you obviously pencil him in to the opening night lineup for the Winnipeg Jets as long as the Kraken don't come a-calling. The one other positive, too, and, and this one is, you know, a lot more obvious than Logan Stanley, but Connor Hellebuck is just out of this world. He ends the playoffs with a 931 save percentage, and there's no doubt that no other goalie is even close in terms of the quality face, let alone the quantity on top of it. I mean, there's a lot of questions and a lot of decisions to be made in terms of building this roster out and having them ready to compete for next season. But Connor Hellebuck honestly belongs in the rarefied airs, maybe just below the Connor McDavid's and the Nathan McKinnon's of the world. Like, he's that good. He really is. And he, I, don't, I still don't think he gets enough credit for it. The fact that he wasn't a nominee for the Vesta Trophy, I think, speaks to that. That his brilliance can be understated. And maybe it's because he's not the flashiest goalie in the world. But he is one of the 10 best players on the planet. Now, the irony in that is when your goalie is that good, I think you fall into the trap like we've seen over the past couple of seasons that you just lean and depend on him way too much. And that's the number one goal really right now going into the offseason is how do we lessen the load for Connor Hellebuck? And that leads us into our final thought of the episode here. And quite simply, it's just the statement, where do the Winnipeg Jets go from here? <laughs> right? Like, how, how do they get this corrected in this offseason to avoid what we saw against Montreal ever happening again. We're going to dive into this in immense detail over the next few weeks, so make sure you tune in for that as we try to figure out what the Winnipeg Jets need to do to get back into cup contention. But I want to just say this first and foremost right out of the gate. This whole defense by committee experiment needs to come to a freaking screeching halt right now. It is just beyond painful to watch the prime of Connor Hellebuck be wasted by one of the worst decors in the NHL year after year. I get that it is a difficult job for Kevin Chevaldeoff, and the Dustin Bufflin early retirement 
didn't help matters whatsoever. But I think we're all in agreement here that enough's enough, right? Like the excuses just have to end here. You just have to fix it now. The past is the past. You have to fix it and trot out at the bare minimum a league average defense going into next season. How do you do that? Well, we'll get into that. And if there is an avenue or two where the Winnipeg Jets can improve on what they had this past season, whether it be, you know, reinforcements from the organization or some help elsewhere. Hint, help elsewhere is going to be a big part of it. But there needs to be, at the very least, one impact defenseman brought in this offseason to help stabilize a back end and, you know, in turn, give some support to what will remain a pretty high-octane offense up front. So that's the one thing that I think everyone, no matter which side of the fence you're on here, can agree on. There needs to be a way to bring in some significant defensive help for next season. That, to me, is just a no-brainer no matter who's here. And the reason I say that is <laughs> there's the chance that we see some significant change in the off-ice department with this hockey club at the start of next season. We're going to get into the coaching debate in a future episode. And, you know, it'll probably be an entire episode, to be honest. So don't worry. We're going to touch on that in a big, big way moving forward here. My quick thought on this, though, before we close out the episode, it just feels like it's time. It feels like it's time. I'm not blaming anybody in this, but... To me, when I look at the coaching staff here in Winnipeg and and how the team has looked over the past season, never mind the playoffs, but the season this year, the season prior to that, even the year before that, I just think this is as far as Palm Reeves can take this hockey club. There definitely needs to be some additions brought in, and there's no doubt that Palm Reeves was hamstrung by the lack of talent on the blue line over the last few seasons. But personally, after, what is it, eight, nine years now under Paul Maurice, I just think a new voice is needed behind the bench and a new style of play is needed to try to see if, to try to see if what you have is good enough here, if the mix is right or if there needs to be some, some further changes to be made. So look, there's no doubt that there are, everyone is going to have some major, major strong opinions on what the Winnipeg Jets either should or shouldn't do this offseason. It just sucks that it came this early. I, I thought the Winnipeg Jets were going to get it done against Montreal. Instead, they lay the biggest of egg. And like I touched on, we're going to have a ton of questions to answer in the upcoming weeks here. Either way, though, I appreciate you guys joining me along for the ride. Well, I think that's enough for today. Hopefully this helped you vent out what's, again, been a super disappointing end to the season. The day after a loss like that really leaves you no choice but to, you know, wallow in the negativity for a little bit. But I guarantee that Friday's episode, though, will bring the positive vibes in a big way. So we're going to kick off our initial off-season preview and get ready for the major summer that's ahead for Chevy and company. Plus, another food interview is coming your way, and it's bagels. Yeah, specifically Hudson's Bagels. Super jacked about this one. A great little spot here in Winnipeg. So if you're looking at, you know, grabbing a solid brekkie in the morning to help kickstart you out of the post-sweep fog, grab a Hudson's bagel and find out about them to close out the week. Remember, carbs don't count the day after postseason elimination, so you're all good. You can grab a bagel or two and, and not feel guilty about it whatsoever. But again, 
thank you guys so much for listening. I mean, it wraps up the first season uh, for me doing the podcast, the first season of Skates and Plates here on the Hockey Podcast Network. It's been a great run. I just, I so appreciate you guys for listening. It really means the world to me. Like, like you know, it's just been a crazy couple of months. I mean, having a kid is one thing, but losing your job in the middle of a pandemic is another. So I just, I, I really appreciate you guys. And it means the world to me that you you tune in each and every week to listen. So thank you so much for that. And, and please, if you can, stay tuned in for what's going to be a really busy and a really exciting offseason on top of that. But we're back on Friday with another episode for you guys. In the meantime, this has been another edition of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Peace.